The Inflation Reduction Act also is the most significant law in U.S. history when it comes to environmental justice. Under this order, environmental justice will become the responsibility of every single federal agency. I mean, every single federal agency. Hi, I'm Marcelo Jauregui Volpe, and this is The Climate Divide, Season 2. You just heard U.S. President Joe Biden giving a speech this past April, right before signing an executive order to prioritize environmental justice throughout all federal agencies. Environmental justice has been a talking point of Biden's administration since the beginning. Soon after he took office, Joe Biden signed an executive order that established the Justice 40 Initiative, which is a commitment to direct 40% of various climate-related federal investments towards disadvantaged communities that have been overburdened by pollution. But how does this all work? What does funding and environmental justice efforts look like in practice? Who's actually getting this money, and how is it being spent? To try and answer these questions, I spoke with Abel Olivo, the co-founder and executive director of Defensores de la Cuenca. This organization's name means Watershed Defenders, and they focus on providing opportunities for the Latino community to engage with nature and protect the environment. Abel talked to me about the origins of Defensores and the unique approach they take to involve the Latino community in their work. I also spoke with Abel about the $2 million Defensores received this fall through an Urban and Community Forestry Grant. The Urban and Community Forestry Program is a part of Biden's Justice 40 initiative and focuses on many things, including expanding the tree canopy in historically tree-lacking communities. Defensores will use the funding they received for their tree planting and workforce development program, but I'll let Abel tell you more about that. Abel Olivo, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the invitation to come and share information about our work. Yeah, thank you so much. I'd like to hear a little bit more about sort of your your background and how you started working in the climate space. Yeah, it's kind of like a little bit of a zigzag situation. I, I moved to Washington, D.C. almost 25 years ago with the idea or intent of working in policy and being a lobbyist, which I was. I, I did that for 12 13 years and, and it was great. And I had a lot of fun. But then after that, you know, I became a stay-at-home dad for four years. And then wanting to get back into the workforce, I wanted to do something that I was interested in, was passionate about nature, the environment. I'm a um, fourth generation Mexicano, Chicano, you know, and my family history or families, my mom and my dad's family, migrant farm workers. So we moved a lot back from, uh, well, they especially from Texas to the Midwest or Florida or wherever, you know, in terms of, you know, where where there was available work. Eventually, we settled in Ohio, my family, and there were, as you can imagine, not a whole ton of Mexicanos there uh, or other Latinos, Chicanos. And and so we really worked to create a, a community and network amongst ourselves. And it was really just a, a really tight knit community that I really missed that I really wanted to reconnect with, you know, especially having moved to Washington, D.C. You know, there are other Latinos, Mexicanos, Hispanics who live in this area, but I didn't really see that reflected too much on Capitol Hill. How did Defensores de la Cuenca come about? Trying to combine both 
my interests, my personal passions, and my longing to reconnect to community is essentially how Defensora de la Cuenca came about. It also was influenced by the fact that there are so few of us in this space and we are so impacted by the policies that we had nothing to do with and we had no access to creating. And in a time of social unrest, you know, the murder of Black people, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, and it just got me thinking about how unjust some of these policies and these activities are and what we can do to create an organization that really seeks to help create those positive connections to nature and the environment, to share information about the work, about nature and the environment, and then grow interest so that people are willing to give us their time or share their time to participate in programming with us to build their capacity to help more people have access to leadership opportunities, professional development opportunities that are really lacking in the community. At the end of the day, what our community needs is community level capacity to be in the community, to lead, to make change in terms of things that are their priority, not our priority, not trees, not stormwater runoff. You know, the priorities for our community are food on the table, rent, mortgage payment, getting to and from work. What we're asking of people is their most precious commodity, and that's their time. Our idea is that we don't want to add or burden tree canopy expansion or stormwater issues to the community. We want to provide an opportunity to receive professional development training in a paid way that allows them to utilize these skills in whatever priority area that they have in their lives. Could you talk a little bit about the different programs that Defensores de la Cuenca organizes? We start our engagements essentially by having opportunities for people to have fun in nature, to come, to enjoy, to bring their families and their friends and to feel welcome and invited. There are so many times that we have events at various locations that we hear from people. I've lived here for 20 years and I've never visited. I drive by every day. I thought this was a private space. I didn't know I was allowed to come here. So by creating these opportunities, we really want to expose people and invite people to areas where they didn't, you know, maybe intentionally or not intentionally feel welcome and safe. So by doing that, by creating opportunities for people to have fun, we hope to grow their interest and, you know, create ownership of these spaces because they are ours. They are public lands. They, they belong to everybody. And so we create those entry point activities share information about, you know, nature and the environment, how trees work, you know, ideas of the watershed, concepts, and very, very basic stuff, you know, nothing too deep. And then all with the idea of piquing their interest to explore our programmings like La Academia de Defensores, which is a paid training program opportunity for adults that is over the course of Three months, we have in-person and virtual workshops that touch on a variety of issues and capacity building opportunities and experiences that also include fun stuff, you know, like boat rides and hikes and, and nature therapy sessions. 
the goal of that is to really enhance people's understanding of our connection to nature, the positive benefits to it, and and how we could um, think about it in terms of how we connect to it. Some of the community view it in terms of faith and creation care and, and how they're called as faithful believers to care for the creation. Others may look at it in terms of the health benefits and what being outside and playing has tremendous value for the family, positive benefits. Um, we, we share information about the general health benefits and concepts like heat island and how it's connected to rates of asthma and diabetes and heart disease and and how that impacts long-term economic opportunities you know when you think about educational attainment many of our community have asthma going to school with english as a second language like i did like many is in an english dominant space it's very hard you know you, it's hard to to understand the language hard to be successful then you have another factor of well hell i can't even breathe it makes it that much harder to concentrate then you start to develop this idea that school is not for you it, it's not for me it's too tough i'm just going to drop out i'm going to get a job that i can do that i know so educational attainment long-term economic opportunities and and how it's all connected and how as communities we are sometimes funneled into these spaces that can have negative impacts on our health. So then after the training, we asked the people, the participants to create a capstone project that uses their knowledge, their assessment of their own situation to make improvements in their community. You know, we have goals of planting trees. You know, that's how we fund these things. But we don't want to box people in and say, you must plant trees. You know, if the thing that caused most attention to this experience is sharing the information in a series of workshop at their church, let's do that. If it's creating a community garden in their neighborhood, let's do that. We want to create opportunities for people to have success in creating, thinking through the, the project planning, creating budgets, creating partnerships, associations, and then ultimately implementing their project successfully. And we're there to help support them. So that is our main program. We have just started our Embajadores de los Arboles program, which is very much in, in the same light or same vein. It is a paid training opportunity that focuses exclusively on trees. And it has various goals or outcomes in terms of getting trees ultimately planted in the ground. And then we're really excited about our youth core program that is just about to get underway. And this is an, uh, again, very much capacity building uh, idea or, or mentality is to create experiences and opportunities for the youth to enhance their understanding of the quote unquote professional world and give them a base of information to build upon. And if they should choose to pursue employment in the green job sector that they would have some experience to point back to. And this all, you know, the programs and, and the work that we do really go back to our philosophy in the work in the green space. And that is we need to pay people for their time because the communities that we work with that are most impacted literally cannot afford to take time off work cannot afford to be without income to support their family. 
the most challenging thing for people to come to our events is to know that they would have to miss work. And if we can support that by providing wage replacement, you know, we will certainly do that if we can. And we had our leadership summit most recently at Nature Forward in here in Maryland, Montgomery County. And because we want as many people to come and join us, we also offer salary replacement stipends of $200 to anyone who asks. No proof needed. Just say that you would like it and it's yours. Recently, different sources of La Cuenca got money through the Inflation Reduction Act. I believe it was like the Forest Service Urban Community Forestry Program. I'm curious to hear about what that process was like. We had been reached out to from a lot of organizations and entities to ask us to be part of their grant. And a few of them were like the maximum request of $50 million. And this is what we'll do for you. And do you want to participate? Like, sure, you know, it will help us expand our program and and give us some funds over the long term, five years, which is amazing and very helpful to an organization our size to know that we can have a revenue stream for a period of time. And the more I chatted with these municipalities and these organizations to present ideas on the funds and how we would use them collectively, I would be having conversations with other people, side supporters and people who encourage us and support Defensores who were suggesting or or encouraging us to apply for them directly, which I hadn't even considered. I didn't really consider it at all because it is a process and it's a lot of work and it's very competitive. So people tell us about funding opportunities all the time, but I look at them, assess them, like there's four of these things and no way it's, you know, across the country, across the region or whatever. I didn't think that we had much of a shot, but then more and more people were encouraging us to do this work. And the more I I read into the priority areas or the priorities of the funding opportunity, the more I started to see well, this is exactly the work that we do. So then, you know, went through the process of getting all of the uh, registrations, all of the certifications, all of the application process requirements and submitted the, and worked on it for about, it was probably about two weeks that I worked on the application and getting together letters of support from other organizations that we wanted to support And I think that that for us is really important to share almost all the funds that we get, no matter what amount we have built into them, probably at minimum a third to a half of the money that goes to the community in terms of partnerships, in terms of participant stipends, in terms of direct community payout. Almost all of our staff are Latino, Spanish-speaking staff who have very similar experiences. However, we still know that we are learning from the community and we need to engage the community and place value in other people's experiences to enhance and to better our own experiences. So a kind of sidebar to say that, you know, we did get this money. It was a long process, but how far this $2 million will go. It's also 70% less than what we requested. So again, thankful for the money, but 
you know, thinking about the outcomes in those partnerships and those requirements. It is not a cheap endeavor. With this money you receive, is it tied to sort of a milestone or a project or is it distributed over a period of time? How exactly is that fund allocation work? The funds are intended to use to expand the Embajadores program, which is uh, Embajadores de los Arboles, which is our tree ambassadors program that works to engage the Spanish-speaking community on tree-specific outcomes, and that is to plant more urban trees in our communities, build the knowledge base of our participants, of our ambassadors, to then carry the message forward to the community, share the importance of trees, and really find tree hosts to host the trees on their property, at their church, at their children's school. And the ambassador's job then is to stay connected with the tree host and remind them about, you know, it's time to water or we're entering a time of hot temperature. Did you mulch? Did you do this? Send me pictures of your tree. How is it doing? So to have them be that representative, if you will, of the trees and help them be successful in keeping it alive for the first two growing seasons, which is the hardest, most difficult and stressful time for the trees to get established. So that's one of the programs that we'll be using the funds to expand. And the other is is a new endeavor. We're calling it Sembrando el Futuro. And this is a seed to tree nursery idea. There are a lot of efforts, as you know, underway to plant urban trees, to reforest our green spaces, to reverse deforestation efforts or or activities that have taken place over the years and decades. In Pennsylvania, there's 10 million trees. In Maryland, there's 5 million trees. In Virginia, there's, you know, a certain amount. People are trying to get planted. However, there really isn't enough native stock to meet the demand. A lot of times the the trees that are being purchased or being grown are from seeds that are outside of our region or trees that are grown outside of our region. So they're native to our area, but don't necessarily have the strong characteristics of a tree that was native to this region and grown and has those characteristics of the region. And you know, what the stories that I hear is, you know, getting trees from Oregon or Tennessee, which isn't as bad, but, you know, just not really having enough available stock in our area to provide what for the demand. So in thinking about creating opportunities for programming and thinking about creating opportunities for employment and opportunities for us, quite frankly, to create a revenue stream that might provide some independence from this grant writing process. I mean, I don't anticipate it be a huge moneymaker, but at least enough to be self-sufficient and self-sustaining and that we can provide solid jobs for people from the community and contribute to the, the native tree stock. So the funds that we applied for through the USDA Forest Service grant was to establish this new opportunity in a, in a nursery and to expand our tree ambassadors program. So with Embajadores de los Arboles, what are some of the the neighborhoods where you're focusing these tree planting efforts? Regionally, we would be concentrating across or close into the greater Washington, Baltimore area. 
Currently, we are doing a lot of work in Prince George's County, in Montgomery County, in basically from the port towns north to Langley Park and across to Silver Spring, New Hampshire states, and along the Route 29 corridor in Montgomery County. The work we hope to expand into or do more work in Baltimore and south in Fairfax County, Arlington County, as far south as Fredericksburg, Virginia, and Spotsylvania County even. It really is partially dependent upon where the tree ambassadors live, because the idea, similar to our La Academia program, is that we look to our embajadores participants to engage their communities and people in places of where they live. And so that is, uh, you know, it could be Langley Park, it could be, you know, Riverdale Park, it could be New Hampshire Estates, it could be along the route run corridor in Alexandria. It really kind of runs the gamut. So wherever our participants have their networks established is really kind of where we would be focusing and concentrating. Likely, it would be in areas with low tree canopy, high impervious surfaces, with some of those factors that make it qualify for a space that would be considered where urban trees could be planted. Through all these programs and the work that you do in working with, you know, Latino and Spanish speaking communities, what are sort of the biggest problems that you have heard these communities speak about in regards to climate change? For many of the people that we work with is the lack of opportunity to participate, to engage in experiences that help make those connections. You know, people know about climate change, of course, they're not oblivious. They, they know what's happening, but really affording someone the opportunity to be active and participate in the solution is really very, very few and far between. The biggest challenge I see to climate change is involving our communities in the solutions that recognizes some of their challenges to participating with nature and environment to begin with. And that's creating job opportunities, creating opportunities for people to earn money because I'm earning money. Other people are earning money. There's so many white people out there earning money doing this stuff. We need to get more Latinos, more Spanish speakers, more people of color from the communities that are impacted, pay them, let them be our consultants, let them tell us what the need is and recognize that that is the most valuable input that we can have when we're developing policies, when we're talking about programs, when we're talking about how to mitigate long-term climate change and just really making it about the people who are bearing the brunt of these catastrophic effects and extreme temperatures. We have people, we have advocates, but it's too few and too little. And we need to be thinking about how to create opportunities for more people to participate in a meaningful way. Abel Olivo, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. The Climate Divide is produced and edited by me. Claudia Peralta Torres provided additional editing and sound mixing support. Christine McDonald is a series editor and executive director of Hola Cultura. 
members of the Society and Culture Team at Hola Cultura Storytelling Program for Experiential Learning, also contribute to this podcast. This project is supported by Spotlight DC and the Pulitzer Center.